I was uh, teaching a retreat last week, and I was, um, I think, that, oh, actually, thinking about even further back, I think the last time I was here, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about um, uh, Anicca or impermanence. I think that was the last time I was here, I don't remember. But recently, in this last few weeks, I talked about impermanence and how everything changes. Everything, and impermanence just means change. And change is happening all the time, and there's big change, and there's little change, and you know my hair keeps growing, so the color of it keeps changing. I mean, it's it's everywhere, and so it's really when you really can be with that idea of change happening all the time, you realize that we are in this place, and this is a Buddhist teaching, this place of groundlessness, that everything's shifting. We we yearn to have things solid and final and and if I do this, I want this result. You know, that's what fundamentalism is. If you believe this, this will be happening. You know, if you do this, this will happen. And it's like, we know that's not really how it works, but people still are fearful and yearn for that because the mind wants that. That's kind of the tendency, and this is a practice that invites us to let go. You know, it's all about letting go, not holding on. And last week on the retreat, we had, the topic was connection. And somewhere in my talk, I was talking about um, this practice allows us to feel grounded even in a state of groundlessness. And that's been my experience, even though I am fully aware that and Nietzsche, impermanence, is one of the characteristics of existence, I also feel grounded. I have a place to land. I think of it as that, that net that a trapeze artist can fall on um, in a circus uh, when if they fall, that there's this place to land, and it's fine. And that's what I feel that these teachings offer. And so I want to talk about your basic, basic, basic eightfold path. You know, and you've all heard the Eightfold Path, I think. You know? So I'm just going to go through it um, because I think it's really helpful to revisit it. And I did it, um, I like doing that kind of thing. You know, like the beginning of the year, we set intentions. I talked about that recently, where we look at, you know, where we, what we want to bring into our lives and where we want to move forward in the coming year. And I think a revisit of, of the, the basic teachings are really, teachings are really helpful. So I kind of, I want to kind of go through this um, just briefly. And that's, you know, if you, if you haven't seen this book, it's pretty, pretty damn groovy. Um, the Noble Eightfold Path by Bhikkhu Bodhi. It's really good. And because even in this world, it's like, can you sign my book, please? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Monk, man. <laughs> so, um, so I just wanted to talk about the Eightfold Path. And, it, you know, as I reflect on this, it's, it's as with so many of the Buddhist teachings, there is this incredible logic to it, this incredible... Um, Uh, yeah, logic and really smart move from one to the next to the next to the next. It's this building, but the Eightfold Path is not linear. 
it's not you start here and you end here and then you're done. It's it's um, it's you can land start anywhere in it. You can move from one to another. They all these factors in the path support each other. You need one to move into another, and one supports that one over here. So it's like this. It's um, this one teacher last week, the yoga teacher was talking about the teaching goes from gross, from big piece thing, and it gets more and more and more and more subtle. It gets, and if you've been practicing for a while, you know, when you first sit down, your head's like, ah, and you start uncovering stuff and getting rid of, oh, seeing how you really create suffering. And sometimes it's easy to let go of things that are so in your face. I'm like, why do I do that? What? But then it gets more and more and more subtle as you continue to disentangle this old behavior, these old habits. So this Eightfold Path is not something that you do once. It's a continual journey moving through seeing clearly. And that's what the is. I'm going to start with the first factor, which is wise, wise view, wise understanding, seeing clearly what's going on in this world. Um, and I, Here's another line. I, I don't remember where I got this. I don't know if it came from this book. But um, it talks about the Eightfold Path is a systematic structure to end ignorance. You know, in ignorance, when we're caught in ignorance is when we suffer. When we're caught in ignorance is when we, we don't see clearly what's happening. We think that that shiny thing on the hill will bring us happiness forever. Whatever that thing is we're caught up in. We think that's the answer when it's not, and that's ignorance. And the Eightfold Path is a systematic way through disentangling impermanence. And it's a place to land. For me, I'm going to say that probably a bazillion times tonight. It's, it's a place to land. It's a place to land. When I'm in that caught in that groundlessness, that, oh, what am I doing? What's going on? Then I can turn towards this. It's like it's taking refuge in the Dharma taking refuge in the teachings, taking refuge in the way it is. It's part of that refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So the first, the first, the Eightfold Paths, as you know, are divided into three, wisdom section and ethical section and um, concentration. And so the first two factors in the wisdom section are seeing clearly what's happening, seeing clearly the nature of suffering, seeing clearly that clinging equals suffering. Me holding on to something is what causes suffering. Me, my inability to be with the nature of the reality of what's happening, my inability to be with reality, my saying no to my experience is what causes discomfort, dissatisfaction. I, I realized last weekend I was talking about connection. Disconnection is suffering. Dukkha, that disconnect from other human beings, that's suffering. And so often we do that to ourselves, um, you know, and, and um, so seeing clearly, wise understanding, seeing that things are impermanent, seeing that there's no self, seeing that life itself is unsatisfactory and trying to hook on to life to bring us satisfaction is, is not going to end well. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have the pain of being a human being, and then we're gonna double down on it by wanting it to be different, by right? saying, "I don't want this." So, um, see, being able to start moving to into a place where 
you know, in, in, the, in the Buddhist teaching, it talks about um, people with a lot of dust in their eyes, starting to, starting to remove the dust from our eyes. And thinking about your poor baby, Lola, who had the, uh, the infection in her, or the abscess in her eye. And, you know, that was, you had to clean that out so she could start seeing clearly again. So to clean that out, because wrong view, seeing things, um, believing things that aren't true, would just take us in a path that's not wholesome, that's not beneficial. So this is, what did, what did the Buddha say? Let me see. Buddha said a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And around this he said, right view, wise view, wise understanding, this first factor is the forerunner of the entire path the guide for all the other factors. It enables us to understand our starting point, our destination, and the successive landmarks to pass as practice advances. To attempt to engage in the practice without a foundation of right view is to risk getting lost in the futility of undirected movement. It's like going somewhere without, without he used the term roadmap, or without your, without your phone. You know, you don't know where you're going. Just start driving willy-nilly or start walking. You have to orient yourself. And so this is an orientation. Seeing that clinging and craving is the nature of suffering. So to understand that is a place to start. Instead of walking around going, why me, why me? You say, oh, maybe it's because I want something that I can't have. Maybe it's I'm caught up in this fantasy. And so starting, not, ne not necessarily that you're able to let go of it, but you start bringing that awareness, that concept into your life. Start seeing that, oh, I'm, this, this is interesting. Let me see if I can start applying it to me. And then you move into the next factor, which is wise intention, which is the bridge between starting to see clearly and the next factors, which are right action. And moving, So it's from seeing clearly, the bridge to acting wisely is setting intention, is moving the mind from, from um, ignorance into clarity and wisdom, and then setting an intention to move in that way. And in, um, in, and in wise intention, in this teaching, there are three components of wise intention. There's renunciation, the willingness to let go of what doesn't serve. Not because you're being obedient and you're a good person if you do this, but because it brings you more into harmony with the world around you when you're aligned, when you're not holding on to something. I, sometimes I have the sense that my idea of what it's supposed to be like and what's supposed to happen and how you're all supposed to behave and how they're all supposed to behave is somewhere over there, you know, 27 miles away, and, my, and the reality of my situation is right here, but I'm stuck on trying to bring everybody in this room with me 27 miles and plop you over there because, if, damn it, if you were over there, then it would be okay. We're trying to stuff your life, you know, round peg, square hole, square peg, round hole, whichever, whichever is more difficult. You know, it's just like, do it, do it, do it. What does they say? Pound to fit, paint to match. You know, just like, <laughs> and then, you know, whatever. It's, that doesn't work. So to be willing to let go what doesn't serve. Be willing to let, give up your idea. 
I have to have this career. I have to have this relationship. I have to live in this house. I have to, I have to wear these clothes. I have to drive this car. I have to go to so many retreats so people will know I'm so spiritual. You know, where are you stuck? What are you stuck on that causes you discomfort because it's not happening? That is what you're willing, that is what this asks you to let go of. The renunciation of letting go, not because you're going to be a good person, but you can see the freedom that this letting go offers you. There's ease when you're willing to let go of preference. Being able to be with what is without preference is so liberating. So what are you holding on to there? And so that's, that's a huge part of intention, being willing to, to move into a place, inclining the mind to live without preference, not desire, saying, I would like this better than this, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I don't need it, letting go of that obsessive tendency. And then another part is um, coming from a place of goodwill and kindness for all. There's a precursor to the, uh, um, the uh, uh, wise action and the precepts. Being willing to incline the mind to be at ease, to bring metta, loving kindness. You know, not that flippy floppy, I'm so, I don't care, but to hold a heart of warmth and goodwill to all beings. So you move through the world with that and a, a sense of harmlessness, not causing harm. So you want to set an intention. I want to live in a way that lets go of what does not serve, what is not beneficial. I have a goodwill towards all, and I'm not causing harm. So it's like loving kindness and compassion together with this wisdom. So you start joining the wisdom and the heart practice together as you move from, from wise view into intention. So you start seeing how this all works. You start setting your, your path in this direction. And then you get to the integrity portion of the Eightfold Path, the wise, um, the um, ethical behavior, sila, wise action. It's wise action. It's um, uh, wise livelihood, wise speech. And I, like, I, I often say wise communication. Because it's not just speech. We, it's how we communicate with each other. You know, we communicate in many ways. We, we, it's how we talk verbally. It's how we communicate social media. It's our body language. You know, I can, you can say something. I may not say anything, but you'll know how I feel about you. Because <laughs> of the look I give you or the look other people give you or the way people sit. No, I love you. Sure, I believe you. Whatever. You know, we didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I said I loved you, but you know, my the the energy coming off of me with my body language was like a big fuck you or drop dead or whatever it is. So we have to really be aware of how we show up in our communication, however it is we communicate. You know, the the is it not lying? being truthful, being kind in our speech, not being harsh. We can, you know, be gentle in how we, even if we're saying something the other person doesn't want to hear, we don't have to be harsh about it. There's a sutta that talks about 
what is appropriate for wise speech and what is not appropriate for wise speech. I wonder if I have that. But it's basically, you can't talk about anything if it's not Dharma, um, which is what the, yeah, I don't have it with me, but it's, it's, it's wise speech is like really tight parameters. I think that that was instructions to monastics, so it's not so much us as lay people, but it's like really pay attention. You have to really pay attention to how you communicate. We can cause harm in how we communicate. We can harm ourselves, we can harm ourselves. And harm others. Watch how you talk to yourself. That can be as harmful as anything anybody says to you. The judging mind, the harsh mind, the critical mind. Really be careful with that. So you want to really um, not just set an intention to be kind, but start bringing your action to it so that you are living in harmony with others. Um, wise action is uh, the, it's, the wise speech and, and wise action are pretty much the foundation of the precepts and don't kill and, and, and Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about it's like not killing and non-harming so live with a heart of care and kindness for all beings not necessarily that you agree with other people and there are people causing tremendous harm there are people, there's tremendous violence in this world. There's tremendous harm being caused in this world every minute of every day. It doesn't mean we condone it because we, you know, we, we, we have this heart of, of kindness and goodwill. This is a practice of, of accountability, but we don't, we don't harbor hatred or we make the attempt to move away from that because it's so painful. You don't want to carry that aversion in your own being. You want to be able to um, have a softness and a, um, a compassion and see that people are driven by ignorance. They are driven by ignorance. A lot of times they've had some really, the causes and conditions that drive them to get where they are are like, I don't understand, but they, they we all have causes and conditions that drive us to, under, to drive us to do what we do whether we see them or not, whether we understand other people's um, motives or not. So it doesn't mean we let people get away with stuff, but we don't harbor um, ill will as much as we can. I mean, you have to start where you are. This is, a go this is a place to go to. It's not like, all right, everybody leave here tonight and harbor no ill will ever again for anyone. That's not going to happen. Um, so... Uh, and, and this is really important, and I love this line that he says in here when he talks about this principle of non-harming, of not taking a life. And this principle is grounded in the consideration that all beings love life and fear death, that all seek happiness and are averse to pain. All beings seek happiness and are averse to, and are averse to pain. Just as I am, so are all beings. So to treat everyone as we treat ourselves it's like what is that that golden rule do unto others as you would do unto yourself as you would have others do unto you that's what this is a grounding in is grounded in um the next in wise action is um don't take what's not offered don't steal don't take suck people's time their energy just really be cautious of what your selfishness your grabbiness uh, this is a this is an antidote to um, 
I mean, and instead of um, taking, 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 begin to cultivate generosity, which is an antidote to this clinging and craving. If you're able to be generous and take somebody to the airport, it's a lovely gift. Or listen to somebody. It's not even about financial generosity. It's about generosity of spirit, generosity of time, being present. Being present is a huge gift. Like we were talking about the concert. You know, put your phone down and be present. Experience it. That's an act of generosity and kindness. You know, be, being wise with your sexuality. That, there's, you know, there's no, there's no parameters that the Buddha puts on this except consenting um, people in consensual relationships, adults. Consensual relationships don't cause harm. We can cause so much harm. And we've all been harmed relationships in this realm so really be cautious and hold it tenderly and dearly and then livelihood you know how do you make your living how do you make your living you know he has some strictures about um, weapons and um, uh, liquor and butchering and so on and so forth and now there's so many ways that this this world the ways you can make a living um, insanely, um, there's multitudes of ways you can make your living. And investigate if what you're doing feels right to you. Because what you're doing feels right to you. And it doesn't mean go quit your job tomorrow if, you, if you're doing something that causes harm somewhere down the world. Um, and we are so interconnected in this world. There's this, this global economy we live in. You can work for a company that is really doing great stuff over here and, you know, doing horrible things over here. It's really really difficult right now. So find your own way with it. Really investigate and don't just quit your job because that would might be causing harm to yourself and your family. You have to really find your way with this, which is why I think this is, again, I think this is like a foundation. It's like, okay, this is a guidepost. How am I going to work inside these factors, inside these, these teachings, these guidelines that say, you know, this is kind of where you want to go. Where are you today? Where do you want to go? And can you just keep keep turning in that direction? Keep turning in that direction. Doesn't mean you know quit and do and change and block. It means move in the direction towards non-harming, towards wisdom. And so that's that's the the sila, the um, ethical integrity part of this eightfold path, the action. And then you move into the last part of the eightfold path, which is. Um, Concentration, and that's three. There's three factors in there, and the first one is effort, wise effort, which is really important. Which is bringing the energy to this practice, and that's recognizing the mind, noticing when the mind is full of unwholesome thoughts, un not thoughts that aren't beneficial. Prevent those if you can. If they show up, let them go. Cultivate them and keep them there. Maintain them. So it's really about seeing when you're caught up in craving and aversion and delusion and being willing to let go of those thoughts and when you're present and how do you maintain that, that presence. There's a great chapter in Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen called Letting in the Good. And it's all about this. It's called, um, yeah, the chapter is called Letting in the Good. 
And it's about wise effort. It's how you cultivate this wise effort. And he talks about beneficial, things that are beneficial. He talks about gratitude practice. That helps to, to shift the brain. To when you feel something that's that's pleasant, hang out with that for more than a second. Hang out with it for oh, 15 seconds. Which doesn't seem like a long time, but we're constantly moving on to the next thing. So 15, 20 seconds can seem interminable. So really hang out with that as best you can. Um, so wise effort is, is really important. How much effort is, and it's balanced. So if you're a person that like is an overachiever, maybe back off a little bit. If you're a person who cuts yourself a hell of a lot of slack, maybe kick it up a notch or two. You know, you, you can tell within yourself. And so how much effort is enough? Just, it's, it's just right effort. Of course, it's the middle way. It's always the middle way. So recognize, be willing to let go of those thoughts that don't serve, like that conversation with people who aren't in your head, which I have done much of my life. Be willing to let it go. When I find myself there, sometimes I have, do you ever have fights with yourself in your head? Do it, no, I can't, no, this is important. No, no, you have to do it. That, that, you know, the two people on each shoulder having that fight. And it's like, just let it go. And if you can't let it go, go, wow, this is really difficult to let go. Not berating yourself, but say, wow, this one is challenging. This one is challenging. Okay, it's challenging. Be with that. So it's all about moving in the direction, not you have to do this so you'll get a check mark or a star. And if you don't, you have to stay after class and do detention. It's not about that. Because when you move in this direction, there's, a, there's an ease that develops. There's a way that you can be in the world with less discomfort, less dissatisfaction. It's not for some out external prize. It's for this internal, this internal prize, this, this ease, this tranquility. One of the um, seven factors of awakening is tranquility, is calm. You, that is part of what needs to be developed in order to awaken, to be free. You have this calm. The world's not going to change around you, but your ability to be grounded in the middle of groundlessness is what happens when you start making the effort to do these things. So that's why it's important. Not because the Buddha said so, but he said, oh, yo, this works. Try this. And I've had that experience. And a lot of you in this room have done this work. And you've had, and, and, and it's, it starts with a little, little, oh, we don't do that anymore. Oh, wow, I'm not hung up on that anymore. Wow, that's nice. I bet if you look at your own experience, you can see that in your lives, even little bitsy things. Yeah, effort is about seeing the hindrances, recognizing them, and being willing to let them go. You know, the aversion, the craving, the restlessness, the, the, the dullness, and then the doubt. Just letting them go. And then sati, mindfulness, is the next, the next factor. And without mindfulness, I don't think any of this happens. Mindfulness is seeing things, is paying attention, is being with. One of the translations, in the meditation instruction, I mentioned that sati is often translated as mindfulness, but it's also remembering, coming, returning, remembering to come back. And it's also being with, 
being with what is, because the mind is often somewhere else. So the mindfulness is to come back and be with. If you're not with, then you, these other things are really difficult to cultivate because you're over here and not aware of what's right here, which is what you need to be aware of, your own experience right here, right now. And the, and the sutta around mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, that's another one of these beautifully um, crafted teachings on start with the body, the basic element of being present. What's, what's happening in your body? What sensations are here? You know, a lot of us who have experienced trauma and, 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 and difficult experiences in our lives are disconnected because so much is present and we're like, ah, I'm not going there. So to begin to reconnect and become, have an awareness and an and a, and a, um, intimacy with your felt experience is so important. And then moving on to feeling tone, recognizing whether your experience is pleasant or unpleasant. A lot of us can't actually do that because we're just like reacting rather than aware of, oh, this is unpleasant. And if it's unpleasant, we often just react, get rid of it, fix it, punch it, run away, whatever we do. Whereas this cultivation of this awareness, this wisdom is like, oh, that's unpleasant. I can run away or I can hang out with it. My tendency is to want to run away or punch it, but I'm, that's not actually a wise response. But without mindfulness and paying attention, you're kind of at, uh, uh, at the mercy of your um, reptilian brain. The, the amygdala takeover, I think somebody called it. Um, and then the mental objects, recognizing what emotions are present. When you're angry, know you're angry. When, you're, when there's greed, know there's greed. When these things are present, know they're present. Again, the same thing for when it, so you're not reacting you're responding because you, you see the anger. Oh, there's anger here, but I don't have to act from the anger. I can allow it to be here. Oh, there's joy here. There's grief here. I can you learn how to hold these things without letting them drive you. And then awareness of all phenomena, everything that's happening. You're just because you're present. And that present time awareness, that mindfulness is supported by the last factor, which is concentration, that single pointedness, that ability to be here, that ability to just to, to, to be present. So that's my little journey through the Eightfold Path. But for me, it's, it's, it's again, oh yeah, this is the foundation. This is a place to land. You know, it's like, what's happening? Um, what, is, what does this say? Oh, mindfulness. Oh, wise speech. Oh, intention. Oh, yeah, anicca, anatta, dukkha. This is like impermanence. This, this teaching is so rich. There's so much in it. And it's like, you know, he teaches this, and the Buddha teaches this in so many other ways throughout the suttas. Um, there's other, there's other ways of grounding yourself, which is like in the paramis, those are qualities, oh, which are like patience and wisdom, also effort, loving kindness, mindfulness. Those are ways, again, to ground yourself. These are, these are qualities. When you develop these qualities, they're how you can hold the world. 
how you can hold the world, how you can be intimate with whatever's arising without needing it to be different to be okay. So um, I invite you to, you know, hang out with the Eightfold Path, see where you are in the Eightfold Path. Because again, with a, a lot of these things, it's like, oh yeah, intention. I really want to hang out with intention or renunciation. What's causing me suffering right now? What's, what's beating my head against the wall? What do I need to let go of? You know, or, or are you somewhere in speech or somewhere in, you know, um, needing to cultivate generosity? There are all these qualities that I didn't even touch on that, that permeate this teaching that, that are helpful as you walk through, um, as you walk through the world. So those are my thoughts. I'd love to hear any questions or... I have a question. Yes. In your teaching of this, which one do you, have you found people have the hardest trouble with? Uh, which one do I think people have the hardest or the most trouble with? The hardest time with? I don't know. I don't know if any of them stick out. Um, I think it's different at different people's times in their life. Like sometimes, you know, a lot of times, all of these teachings, it's a journey. It's a journey from an intellectual understanding to a, an actual experiential understanding. And depending on where people are and where people are coming from, their backgrounds and their history and their experiences, the journey is different. And um, so I think it's a lot of the their their causes and conditions that make difficulties, like sometimes renunciation is difficult. So, you know, I can't let that go because there's so much fear involved. If I let that go, then what will happen? But they're incredibly generous people, you know, or the people are like, just, just can't get their speech together and they're angry and harsh and, and whatever, but they're, they're, you know, they can do other things. So you know, their, their mindfulness practice is pristine. So I think a lot of it depends on where they are. And, ha and, and um, you know, like the teaching I talk about, the undefended heart so much. It's like, well, it's like so people have this idea that um, once you get the teaching, you get the teaching. But again, it's like I said earlier, it goes from gross to subtle. You know, there's the big stuff that you can open up to. Okay, you've learned to open up to, but then there's, you know, you get smaller and smaller and smaller, and it's like, yeah, no, there's this corner over here. I don't know. So I think it's the same with this. It's like you get rid of the bigger stuff you can just laugh off, and then you just have to get to the stuff that's really just entangled, like that gold chain that's tied up in knots that it's like, uh, I can't ever disentangle it. But you can just keep plodding away. And, and, you know, the good news is the Buddha lived 80 bazillion lifetimes before he took birth as Siddhartha Gautama. So um, you don't have to do it all this week. <laughs> and I'm not dead, so I'm not done. And I don't know what I think about rebirth, but I'm, I know this lifetime I'm not done. So... Thank you.